Chris and Chris Talk Movies. Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. My name is Chris Ferry, and of course, this is my co-host. I am Chris Huddleston. And today we are both very excited to be talking to you about a brand new movie, a Shudder original film, Mad God. Do you have a synopsis for us, Mr. Edelson? I do. So this is directed by Phil Tippett, and we'll get into uh, get into him as, as we go along. So the synopsis from Rotten Tomatoes says, Follow the assassin through a forbidding world of tortured souls, decrepit bunkers, and wretched, wretched monstrosities forged from the most primordial horrors of the subconscious mind. Every set creature and effigy in this macabre masterpiece is handcrafted and painstakingly animated using traditional stop animation techniques. Mad God is a labor of love, a testament to the power of creative grit, and an homage to the timeless art of stop motion animation. Well, I would agree with all of that. Yeah. So what tell it tell us about it? Your thoughts. Well, neither of us had seen it. It's brand right. brand new. Although he's been apparently working on it for a while since since uh, so in I did a little bit of reading about it. He started on this. He so I don't think he's directed a whole lot else. He's primarily a visual effects guy. He started out the original Star Wars and Jurassic Park and Temple of Doom. But um, he did effects for RoboCop 2 in 1990. And that's when he started working on this. And then when wow. Jurassic Park came around, he decided that uh, stop motion was dying and he shelved it for 20 years and then came back to it. And a bunch of people, he got a bunch of people to help him with it, help him to finish it. So. We do spoil these movies. So although, I don't know if you could. Spoil this I, don't know, I don't know if you could spoil this movie, but we do, we do talk about it in great detail. So if you want to watch it unspoiled, know that before listening to this podcast. So uh, I will start with the synopsis and say that I agree. I think as a work of stop motion animation, it is. I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. I mean, it is so meticulously crafted that however you feel about the film i think you have to take off your hat in in appreciation of 
the work the, and the design and everything that has obviously gone into it. I mean, I, 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 I think I'm going to split at the end, my recommendations into two pieces, because there's a part of me that's like, if you're into stop motion and, you know, however you feel about the other content, it it's worth watching just for that. It's a masterpiece in that regard. Um, otherwise I think the, the movie, the tone of the movie is really sad. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to say it was hard to watch, but I found uh, I I I really was looking for any kind of hope in the film, and I I really you could interpret some little things. Maybe you could say, well, there's a there's another way of looking at it, and like I don't know. the The gut feeling I had was just so bleak. Um, what did you think? Yeah, I I think this is going to be one that our our thoughts are going to be very similar, uh, you know, down to when we get even when we get to the our recommendation at the end. Yeah, I mean, in in terms of the craftsmanship, as you said, it's it's a masterpiece. Um, the the tone of it, it's like watching a nightmare. Um, and like you said, it's sad because it's all of these different creatures being killed and squished and tortured by other bigger, you know, more powerful creatures or mad scientists or whatever. Um, I kept thinking watching this. So there was, they did. So shutter bought this and they did a limited theatrical release with this, with uh, AMC and it did, about $325,000. I don't know what the budget was for it, but this would be a great movie to watch at a festival with other people, you know, in a, in a, so I watched this by myself and I imagine you probably did too. Right. Yeah. Um, But to watch this in a, at some kind of a festival in a packed house with some beers or whatever. And, you know, like-minded people who are really into, into this kind of thing. I, th- I think that would be the perfect way to watch this. Um, it, it feels kind of like you are watching a, like the greatest student film ever made. You know what I mean? And and I, I don't say that to disparage it in any way because oh, it's I, so I well done. Yeah. Um, but in, um, uh, so you you definitely I think can see how um, it's almost in segments. So much most of it is stop. Uh, kind of in the middle, there's a section where he gets captured, and these this mad scientist or doctor or whatever they're removing all these things from inside him, these um, jewelry and maps and things and that's live action it's not stop motion and then there's other stuff later on that stop motion but it definitely this definitely feels like something that was created over a period of years um and you know i think anybody working on if you worked on something for 20 or 30 years there would be ideas that would change or techniques that would change or whatever so um you know so it feels kind of disjointed with that but towards the end you know everything's dark and dreary and industrial but there's a part towards the end where 
you're in the kind of this psychedelic world and that's the only time where there's any real color in this and it's refreshing and you think like oh this is kind of a nice turn and then one of the people gets eaten by a big spider yeah um, i know what you mean about the student film comment and i think that's just i just think that you know phil Tippett directing is its own art form and mm -hmm. his mastery is in this other thing i i think it feels like someone's first movie from that angle for in terms of one thing uh, of storytelling and flow and the management of tone um it, this doesn't feel preachy i think i feel like there are messages in this i think the messages were i at best they're deliberately enigmatic and left open to interpretation and at worst they're supposed to be very clear and they're not mm -hmm. so you know i think looking at it from one way it's the sort of like 2001 there's a lot of homage and reference to 2001 a space odyssey in this and the end of that didn't spoon feed you any meeting uh you know you're left to interpret the conclusion of that movie as you will I think there's a way that you can look at this film and and say the same thing. But there were other parts of it that felt like, oh, this is a th this is a trail of breadcrumbs. And oh, I think now that is supposed to be the like aha moment I have, but I'm still confused, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I think I think that's an unseasoned uh, director. I think tonally, like if you were going to make an album and every single track was a downer, then that album would be a downer. Yeah. And that's fine. Uh, do make your album. But there's a part of me like how many people, right? I mean, it, you made it for yourself and it's a downer and, and you don't care what other people think. So be it. I think if you're making a film part of the implicit thing is that people will watch this film. It's a video a visual medium. Uh, I mean, I just don't know that I could sit through this again. It's so depressing mm -hmm. and it's occasionally upsetting. Um, but it is like watching a nightmare. I didn't think any of the stuff was so nightmarish that I couldn't watch it. It mm -hmm. just, we should, we should back up a little. So it, at the beginning, it starts with what's pretty clearly a reference to the tower of Babel, right? That's the Tower of Babel. And in the Old Testament, God destroys the Tower of Babel and scatters the people of the earth. And then we get a passage from Leviticus where God is saying, basically, if you don't honor me, I will mess you up. And it's it's actually it's from Leviticus and, you know, and yeah, obviously the Bible was not written in English. So the translation might be strange in the King James Bible or whatever that's pulled from. But it is it's it's the text of a wrathful God. Right. And that's one interpretation of mad God, that God is mad. I think another one in this film is that God is insane, like only a mad God would would create these worlds in which we seem doomed to 
you know, we, he creates creatures that aspire to the heavens and that then inevitably piss him off and <laughs> that he destroys. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we see throughout the film is all these different living things. Some of them are little humanoid. Some seem to be people. Some are these sort of assassin characters that we never really see their face, but they have human eyes at least. And they're humanoid. And it's just kind of a, a post-apocalyptic kind of meat grinder. Um, yeah. Some of them are working in a big factory and they're just kind of whatever the production line is, is clearly more valuable than their existence because they're just getting kind of obliterated in the, in the, the process of different things happening and nobody, there's no value to their life. And in other cases, this sort of mad scientist character has these very uh, colorful and pretty and happy little sea monkey type characters that he then unleashes this predatory spider creature on and it takes the little one mm-hmm. and he's de- he delights in it. So at one end of the spectrum, there's just this cosmic indifference to life having any value. And at the other end of the spectrum, there is uh, cruelty and delight in the carnage and there's sort of a lot in between. There's two big dumb creatures that are basically shoveling shit. I mean, that's kind of what mm-hmm. they're doing. They're fighting and he electrocutes them to stop them. So they go back to work and then they do for a little while and then they start fighting again. And they're, they're, it's all these sort of reflections on what's what I feel like is supposed to be human nature. And yeah. it's all pr- pretty. It's. It's either um, nihilistic or or pessimistic or mean or somewhere in between or a combination of, I don't know. It's uh, as spectacular and, and dark as it is. I mean, it's nightmarish, it's monstrous stuff, but I mean, the, the animation is spectacular. Oh, yeah. The vibe is just like. Oh. It's grim, you know. Um, really grim and and then it it gets bigger than that because at the end there seems to be some sort of cosmic cycle where they're creating a new universe and they send this obelisk out into space a la 2001 again and it seems to hit a barren world and create life and we watch that come all the way up through microscopic all the way up through great cities that are then obliterated and it sort of seems to be saying that, oh, this cycle repeats ad infinitum and there's no other outcome. And you're just like, man, <laughs> 30 yeah. years you spent like, like, man, oh man. Yeah. You, you, uh, mentioned the word cruelty and that's what I kept thinking of watching this. There's just so much in it that just feels so cruel. There's the, one of the most upsetting things is pretty early on where there's a scene where, the assassin opens this door and there's this kind of monkey like creature strapped to a table and it's being tortured in some way. And it reaches out its hand, you know, as if to say like, help me. And, you know, he closes the door back up. That was really, that was upsetting. You know, he's on Um, a mission and he's on a mission with a briefcase and it turns out there's a bomb in a briefcase. He gets all the way down to the bottom which also made me think of like the nine circles of hell or something. He gets all down the bottom and there are just mountains 
of these identical briefcases and and then there's some sort of spider creature that's been you know stalking him that nabs him and drags him away and the bomb gets goes all the way around to a minute and gets stuck at like at 11 right and so then it's just another one of these briefcases in the mountain of briefcases and the character that I think is supposed to be in the credits, he's he's called the last man is sort of the one that's sending these assassins down. If he's the last man, I don't know what the assassins are. If they're not men, there's a lot that's unanswered in this. Um, yeah. Uh, sends another one down and that one ha- goes on a sort of a different journey with a map. And that's, I don't know. It, it's, it seems to make commentary on, a, you know, I thought, so is he like a a leader and are these witches making the map? Are they like the intelligence service where am I trying to find meaning where there isn't meaning? I wanted some causal something and they're just, it wasn't, it would, then it would go to another sequence in which something else horrible was happening, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, another to, to talk a little bit about the design a little bit more, all of the, you know, the, the, the beginning is this long sequence of the uh, assassin lowering down in this sort of elevator like thing on a cable just through and, and you, I hadn't really thought of it, but you talked about the nine circles of hell, you know, it's just, he's going down and down and down through, these different areas and all of the set design in this, it's all just spectacular. Um, it's, it's breathtaking. And I, you know, I wonder what this would have cost. Um, and just, I, I think, um, now this is, this is kind of in my recommendation, but I think for people who, you know, there would be a lot of people just, just average moviegoers that, aren't going to understand the work that would go into something like this, but you know, people who are really into stop motion and know how, you know, we played around, and I think a lot of maybe people of our generation, you know, we played around with that as, as kids, you know, trying to do stop motion stuff. And it's, you know, you'd have to have just unbelievable patience to, to create something like this. And, and that's us moving, you know, GI Joe's around and Star Wars. This guy designed and built all of this stuff himself. And it's just, I mean, just the, even the post-apocalyptic landscapes are, you could pause it and just, just the background through which a character walks through in a two or three second shot are so crammed with remarkable detail. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's really, it's really something. And then there's a lot of, you know, he's got a style that I think becomes clear. There's a lot of glistening goo and viscera, and there's a lot of kind of rolling eyeballs. And there's a sequence in which this sort of death figure that's wearing a kind of a plague mask and has a big black brimmed hat with lots of little, um, streamers hanging down off the front is uh is 
traveling he's got this sort of it's crying like a baby but it's sort of a hairy worm that they've extracted from the body of the of the first um assassin that that is captured and it goes on this long journey through uh i thought it was one of the most spectacular sequences just the different (laughs) regions this thing goes through and on its way to where the mad scientist is um because there's such variety and there's such a it's almost mystical like there's it made me think a little bit of the 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 multiverse of madness sequence where they're falling through the different reality mm-hmm. she punches a hole and then they then they're paint now they're blocks and now it's like oh and then it's all kind of you know it's like every every scene is um plus it's a break from the like the post-apocalypse world that we see the um assassin moving through is seems to be either the surface which is a ruined city or there's a kind of a world war one landscape with big craters and tanks and war machines firing at each other and there's a sewer and there's crazy stairs going down and then there's other things that don't conform to reality there's a giant square spiral going down that he's in sort of a jeep that he's kind of piloting the jeep along this edge of what it's not a staircase but it's like this square ramp mm-hmm. visually visually it's i would say it's almost a must see if you're into this stuff yeah but you know my mother mustn't see it oh yeah not my mother mustn't see this but i don't think that my mom needs to see it I, a she's not into it and b it's really not her thing you know mm-hmm. if you like horror and you like like we did you like the stop motion animation you you have to check this out but you know is this something to sit down uh like i didn't enjoy it all that much it made me feel bleak is the word that you used it it, it just made me feel really sad yeah in my stomach because i'm like that's wow there's no hope yeah that I can find here. And so it's not really a date movie. I think you're right. I think if it was the kind of thing that you were at a um, a festival and you were screening it with other, and then there could be a talk back afterwards where people could discuss some of this stuff. I think that would be, plus seeing it on a big screen, you'd really get to see the detail even more. Exactly, yeah. But it's not what I would call even an easy watch. I didn't fall asleep or anything, but. Yeah, it's not, you know, I was never bored with it. There's always something interesting to see. But and one thing that we haven't talked about, there's no dialogue in this, really. Right. I mean, there's there's people mumbling and, you know. And there's sort of baby sounds crying. They're all kind of upsetting. At, yeah. At it's like, you know, yeah. speaker. and at worst, it's just a audio track of, of a baby crying in distress, which... I don't know about your nervous system, but <laughs> it goes, it's like an ice pick in my nervous system. Yeah. I mean, the sound. That's one of those, you know, primal things that you are, you know, wired to be upset by that. Um, and uh, I was going to say something and I, and I lost my, lost my train of thought, but um, yeah. Uh, you know, the, 
um, yeah, it's not like it's a fun watch. I mean, early on, I was like, wow, this is just so breathtaking and cool. This is going to be a fun thing to watch. But um, you get the. I had a hard time with the the operation sequence that right. goes on for a long time. And it's really, really gory. And, you know, they're just pulling stuff out, out of them and, you know, these squishy sounds and, you know, it goes on for a long time and it's gross. It's not exactly um, a torture sequence, but it's real close, mm -hmm. you know, because the, the patient is clearly still alive. You know, the eye is rolling around and ugh. yeah, it's upsetting. Um, now back to the, uh, the the comment that I made about that it's feeling a bit like a student film. So I read some comments from him and he said when he, you know, 20 years later, when he decided to finish it, he had a lot of volunteers who um, helped him with it. And he said, uh, and, you know, it's not apparent watching the film because it's, you know, throughout it's skillfully done. But he said some of the people, you know, he was, it was like, he was happy to have their help but they didn't, they weren't trained in this and didn't really know what they were doing. And, you know, he was just sort of guiding them along. So, you know, that's uh, maybe that lends to the, the student film feel. I, I don't know, but, uh, um, and he had a, I forget who it was, but he had a sound designer who was a friend of his, who, um, who helped him with it. And, you know, the sound design is really great. The music is, is really great in this. So it's all, you know, the, it's just such a technical achievement and this got quite a bit of attention. So I think it would be, you know, if it's something that he wants it to do, I think it would be really cool if Shudder or Netflix or somebody like that would give him some money to do, do a stop motion film, maybe with, you know, more of a narrative. Something on the sunny side of the street, maybe. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't have to be in the sunny side of the street, but oh, I remember what I was going to say. So some of the, the you know, were, there were some various things that this, like you said, homage to 2001, A Space Odyssey, but there are things about this that feel um, kind of like something Terry Gilliam would have done. Yes. There's some, um, there's some Lynch in here. I don't know if you've ever seen Eraserhead or not, but you know, there's some eraser head kind of feel here. And even um, have you ever seen the city of lost children? Yes. You know, some of that. Um, I don't know if those were influences on him or not, but it's, you know, those are some other filmmakers that have done some very dark, bleak stuff like this. Yes. So I could definitely see this being a, um, you know, really a cult film. I mean, this is a cult film kind of in every sense of the word, but, uh, you know, kind of growing to be appreciated more over time among, as you said, people who are really into this kind of thing. Yeah. Cause like I, you said, it's, it's really, even with those comparisons to other films and other filmmakers, it's still really unlike anything you've seen before. I think that's true. And that's, saying something that's really quite a thing to say about a film um we talked about 
movies like the gray man and we've talked about style over substance and um in the gray man i just think there's no substance it's a lot of style and there isn't any substance and in this one i think that the style eclipses the substance but there's definitely substance to this movie i think it's a little it's a little muddy Again, I think in some places it intends to be clearer than it comes off as. Uh, and, and you know, then there maybe more than substance, maybe it's just a flavor or a tone that I think is, it's challenging to watch. Like if somebody composed uh, an opera that was three hours of people kind of screaming as though they were in pain, that would be difficult to listen to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, maybe it maybe it could be a could still be a masterpiece, but I found this one, yeah, so bleak, so bleak that I don't know. I certainly wouldn't want to sit through it anytime again soon. No, no, I wouldn't either. But in, in terms of you know talking about things like the gray man, and we mentioned uh, Doctor Strange that you know we've talked about a lot over yeah. various episodes, but. You know, it, it, this is a guy who's worked in Hollywood since the 70s as primarily as a visual effects artist, but he's obviously incredibly creative. Yeah. And you would like to see this kind of create creativity in more yes. sci-fi and horror. You know, oh, yeah. the the first person that that I would say would that would come to mind that is doing anything similar but in a much more uh audience accessible way is Guillermo del Toro. Yes. Um you know, he's able to do some pretty weird stuff but you know, have a strong narrative and storyline and things that you as a viewer can uh identify with, you know. Yes. Um but you know, no, again, I, I, yeah. I think it would be really cool for Phil Tippett to, again, you know, maybe he doesn't want to, maybe this is, was his thing that he wanted to to direct and, you know, it was his passion project and maybe he won't ever direct anything again, but to, to work on, uh, you know, something where he is um, doing all the design, maybe with somebody else's story. Yeah. yeah. I would love to see that. And collaborations like that often bear fruit, surprising fruit, fruit that sometimes both collaborators are surprised to discover as they go. And I think audiences feel and see that. They think, wow, that's that felt fresh even to the filmmaker somehow. I don't know. Yeah. Otherwise. Or even something like, um, uh, you know, Tim Burton has done some things like um, the nightmare before Christmas is, is looked at as a Tim Burton movie, but he was the producer on that. Right. Um, You know, uh, so, you know, maybe him and Tim Burton get hooked up, you know, and, and do something, you know, that would be, that would be really cool. Sure. As a resume, as a calling card, this is incredible. Yeah. That's another thing that I was going to say. It, it, (laughs) it feels in a way like um, you could, you could just cut this into sections 
and this would be just an incredible demo reel for somebody, you know. Oh my god. Looking to but but this is a guy who's been working for, you know, almost 50 years in Hollywood. Yeah. But even so, like Harryhausen, a lot of people do stop animation, but there are artists that there's just so much personality in the in the is it time intensive? Yes, of course it is. Is it detail intensive? Yes, absolutely. But um, you know, Tippett here and Harryhausen before him, there's just so much individuality and 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 character that comes through this inanimate work, you know. Mm -hmm. The process of animating it, they come to life in such unique and memorable, like Clash of the Titans. The I thought about Clash that, of the Titans a lot, you know. So unforgettable. It. And you know, and the animation in this is too. Um yeah, it's the stuff yeah. of nightmares. Pe it's just people who have people have watched the original, you know, the original Clash of the Titans was one of those things that we kind of grew up with because it was on uh it, you know, played over and over on HBO uh when we were kids. And I bet I watched I might have watched it. 20 or 30 times right yeah uh you know back and that's what we should we should do on the show because i haven't seen that in a long long time i can't believe we haven't done that that's no oh man that is a that's a classic we have not yeah we have not done clash of the titans but it's been a long long time since i've seen that but i people who if you're into clash of the titans and that other harry house and stuff uh what he did a what is it? The seventh voyage of Sinbad or something yes. like that. Yes. Um, there's a statue of Kali that comes to life and he has Sinbad has a sword fight with this statue of Kali that I, yeah. I remember like it's burned into my brain as a kid. I was just pressing my nose up against the screen of the TV. That was so cool. So, you know, people who are into that, you, you definitely have to watch this, you know, for just to see the uh the craftsmanship yes. in this. Yes. I, I don't really know what else to say because there's yeah. not, you know, it's it's not like we can talk about the the storyline because there there's not much storyline. There isn't. It's almost like a Hieronymus Bosch painting. It's like we That's a good analogy. Visit this quadrant and then we follow a character as it walks into that quadrant. And oh, well over here is the mad scientist. And there is a kind of a bigger statement being made that seems to me seemed to me to be like oh, who's this nightmarish sort of looks like a you know medieval plague doctor but also reads as death that takes this screaming baby worm mm -hmm. um and they crush it alive and then it spits makes this sort of goo that they turn into powder through a process and then they use that powder and blow it into a forge and it sort of creates an entire new universe and planets and solar systems and then seeds the planets with life and you think oh well maybe it's a comment on and there's a nurse that kind of carries the baby to him and then can't sleep and you're sort of like you know maybe our world is one in which we do horrible things that trouble us but it's in the 
name of progress, but may, oh, maybe that just all leads back to the Tower of Babel and we're all doomed to die anyway because we live in a universe that was created by a um, mad God, you mm-hmm. know? And yeah. if, if you, if, if that's the message, but it doesn't, it ends on the last man looking down. You know, there's like eight endings that you think it's mm-hmm. the end. And then it, finally it sort of ends on this, eye that we see rolling around a lot and you're like well wait is that the eye of the last man is that the eye of the mad scientist is that the eye of the death figure is that is that supposed to be the filmmaker's eye (laughs) no i I don't is that just humanity like wildly looking around to try and find a way out i don't know man but as it's heavy. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, would I recommend it? I, having said all of that, I do. I think, I think visually this is an absolute masterpiece. And if you have any interest in stop motion animation and you understand that it's kind of gory and a nightmare world, then I think you, you must see this film. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you're saying, well, hey, is this a good one to watch on date night with a bowl of popcorn? I'm like, well, if you both are are that type of person, okay. Uh, but but otherwise, I didn't find it entertaining in that way. Like as a movie, not every movie needs to make me feel happy, but this was just such a punch in the gut. Like, oh, you know? Yeah. That I I just, I don't know. I, I might look for something else. Yeah, I would, you know, my thoughts are going to echo, you know, everything that you've said. I just visually, if you think this is, you know, you've listened to this and this sounds like, or you've seen the trailer or whatever and think, oh, that looks, yeah, watch know, the trailer. That looks impressive. That's a taste. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, you, you know, you're into that kind of thing, then you're, again, you know, I would be curious to hear from people who say, oh, I really enjoyed that in the, you know, in the way that you're talking about, sure. uh, hey. because it is upsetting and depressing and bleak and grim and all of those, those things that we've said. Um, but it's, I mean, it's, it's just going to be unlike anything that you've seen before. Right. Um, but you know, Hey, there, there are many different flavors. Let's just, talk about horror here for a minute many 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 different flavors in the horror genre right i mean there's the sort of torture you know thing where it's there isn't a happy ending it's just a movie about which some predatory people capture some prey people and delight in murdering them in excruciating ways and that's the movie and it's a popular subgenre of horror. So, you know, that's not my thing. I don't happen to enjoy that, but there's a lot of people that do. And then there's other, you know, there's things that are spooky, but not really scary or gross. And there's things that are like, you know, the the collar is in the building. And, and then there's the campy stuff like Friday the 3rd. There's all different. So it takes all kinds. You know, I'm, yeah. I think might have an audience that just absolutely love the bleakness of it. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, you know, this would probably be something 
I could see, um, I probably would have been, again, I don't think, you know, I wasn't that, um, you know, uh, as a kid, like that into super dark stuff, but this would be a little bit like a, a teenager, um, at least when we were teenagers to watch this. Cause it, it it's, it, you know, it's, it's kind of disturbing and just that dark it, you know what it, it, I kept making me think of is that one tool video, you know, yeah. the one that it, it feels like that in places. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think people that are into that kind of thing, you know, you know, would really be into this. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, if that's what you're into, you got to see this movie. And if, you know, for people who have uh shutter already, it's a yeah. shutter exclusive. I don't know if you can watch it anywhere else. I don't know if it's possible to rent it. Um, I don't you know, think on Amazon right, or anything like that right now. I don't think it is yet, but I'm sure that at some point you'll be able to rent it or whatever. Once they they're, tr excuse me, trying to get drive subscriptions, I think mm -hmm. now, excuse me. Um, so what are we going to do? Oh, Chris and Chris talk movies at gmail.com. That is our handle. We are on the socials. We're on all your favorite podcast apps. We're on YouTube. If you like to watch us, talk in addition to listening to us talk uh please like and subscribe please leave us a comment uh tell us that you thought our thoughts were great tell us what we missed and uh, be nice don't be a jerk um and uh yeah and if you have suggestions of other stuff we might like let us know that too i know you had one that you wanted to do next time that i'm i'm seeing that you sent me a link to uh, are we going to do the, uh, perfect blue? Sure. Yeah. If you, did you watch the trailer already? Or? No, I haven't watched okay. the trailer, but I've, I've heard of perfect blue. Yeah. It's, uh, it's an anime, but it's kind of like psychological thriller. It, it came up because, um, it's, it's something, and we certainly don't have to watch, you know, exclusively stuff that's on shutter, but they just added it on shutter. It was uh, I want to say, I don't remember the exact, I think it's like early 2000s was when it was made. Um, so yeah, if you're down for that. Cool. Um, yeah, you I'm know, sure. it popped up on there and I was like, oh, I would like to watch that again. That's a nice, we'll watch a perfect blue for next time. So if you're already a Shutter subscriber, you can find it on Shutter, or I'm sure you can find perfect yeah, you can, blue in other places. Yeah, you can um, get it. it. It's one of those that's kind of viewed as, one of those classics of anime, you know, along it's very different, but alongside Akira and ghost in the shell. And, you know, these are kind of, and I'm, I'm sure people who are really into anime would probably say, Oh, those are the ones that, you know, are for the normies or whatever, but sure. Um, but uh, it, it's one of those that's regarded as one of the, the great anime films. I'm certainly not an expert on, Anime, I've not but, seen it, so I'm I'm looking yeah. forward to seeing it. Anime is something that I I appreciate as a casual novice. Yeah, uh, I'm I in the same boat. Yeah, really not in in the thick of it, but. And with this, with with Mad God, um, back to you know our uh, contacting on the socials and all that kind of stuff. I would love to hear from people who have watched this and were really into it, and maybe you know. Uh, really determined some what this was supposed to be about, you know, other than just life is cruel. Right. 
Yeah, I would love to know. <laughs> yeah. Well, what did I miss? Um, cool. Um, then uh unless you have oh, so I did I watched the um Oh yeah, yeah. Watched the first episode of The Rings of Power and mm-hmm. Uh, we had mentioned one episode that we had read two conflicting reviews, one of which thought it was sort of um, kind of got there are many ways in which a prequel, a lavish prequel thing like this can go wrong. And this one kind of goes wrong in every single one of those ways. And then the other one that that sort of posited that this was absolutely hands down the greatest cinematic adaptation of the genre to date. And it was incredibly yeah. fawning and. Um, you had to wonder if that one was a plant. I mean, it felt I, I, not to, you know, I haven't watched this, so I don't want to, I don't want to, yeah, I don't really want to comment on whether it's any good or not, but it's like when somebody says that, I don't know. The positive review was so superlative that you're kind of like, can, can anything be that good? Like the, literally the best of everything. Uh, in, in, and, and just, I always feel like things need a bit of, you know, when people are like, oh, you know, Mad God came out two months ago and it's my favorite movie of all time. You know right. what I mean? I always, I always feel like you need a bit of time to rate something as the best ever. Or, you know, are you right. going to feel that way in five years or 20 years? You know, uh, I would say about it. My take is that I agree more with the former that one of the things that the original Lord of the Rings did so well was that Peter Jackson took so much loving care in the adaptation of the original books to the screen that in the watching of it, you have what on paper is pretty unwieldy dialogue. It's either fantasy speak verbatim from the book, which can be difficult to say when you're wearing a fake beard and a corny pointy hat and right in a row Harrison Ford's famous line also from Star Wars when he said George you can write this stuff but you can't say it yeah um and and yet those original Lord of the Rings movies um or the other half of that thought or is that it's a very complex uh line of of plot in the uh book that they compress down into one sort of line that needs to kind of carry the heart of that entire plot line that you don't see in the movie somehow, or explain something that the book illustrates in a series of scenes. Um, And granted you've got Ian McKellen and you've got these great actors doing it and they had years and years and years to shoot it and, and finish it. But what I notice in this one is it feels like that care and attention was not put into the writing. A lot of mm-hmm. the dialogue feels very, um, very clanky to me and cliche. And, um, you know, all of the things that you, that makes fantasy not until very recently, not a super popular genre it's so incredibly all over earnest and dewy eyed and mm-hmm. uh, and and i just while the sets and the cinematography and everything aspire to this sweeping grandeur uh even that starts to feel repetitive like there are these sort of helicopter shots that at first you're like well, now okay now that's breathtaking but by the 20th one you're kind of like 
okay we you know what i mean like breathtaking alone gets boring over you you can't spackle over the fact that the scene before was stilted and the scene after is stilted and in between you have this sweeping helicopter shot like the helicopter shot doesn't do anything Mm -hmm. other than establish now we're in this other gorgeous vista right so I found it disappointing and I, I honestly don't think I'm going to watch another episode of it. I just mm. I literally fell asleep. Wow. <laughs> yeah. You know, we've talked about that before, but, and, and I don't know that we, you know, ever really came up with a, you know, what we think is a definitive, definitive answer, but it's just always incredible to me with all the money in these productions that so often in these uh big budget fantasy or sci-fi or action things that the writing is is the weak link in them you Mm -hmm. know there are great writers in hollywood there are people who can write great dialogue but why can you not have a uh a sci-fi or fantasy film with not that it would be the same, but the same quality of dialogue as like a Coen brothers film or yeah. a, a Quentin Tarantino film uh, or breaking bad or something like that. You know, I mean, it's like, why do they, the, obviously the powers that be have determined that the, in their minds, what audiences care about least is the writing right. in terms of dialogue, you know? Maybe audiences don't, you know, maybe, maybe they don't care. You maybe know? there's a big audience of people that just likes elf stuff. And mm-hmm. if it looks good enough, then, I mean, there's not, this is not, I'm, I'm often overly harsh. It's not a dumpster fire. It's just, they clearly spent a lot of money on it. And I feel like if they'd adjust, spend a little more money or taking some of that money away from, you know, cut a couple of those helicopter shots and do another couple passes at the script or workshop it a little bit with the actual actors, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, that's the thing with the, and you know, they were, they made a ton of money and won Oscars and all those kind of things. But with the Peter Jackson, Lord of the Rings film films, those wouldn't have worked if you know you didn't care about those characters and there's right there's a lot of heart that he was able to inject into that and as you said you know some of that comes from having elijah wood and ian mckellen and uh you know these different great actors but some of that is writing and direction as well it's not simply the actors that's right and and a lot of this feels green screen um like the like the hobbit movies were all mm-hmm. shot on green screen and uh, as an actor who has worked both uh i've never actually done a purely green screen movie but i've been in movies and on stage and the set that you're acting in does have an effect on you and you sure. can say well you should be able to do it all with your imagination maybe so <laughs> but you know, if you're on green screen, you both have to be imagining the same thing. And when you're on a physical set, you're both literally standing in the same room. Mm-hmm. And you can say, well, but the audience doesn't see that. I'm like, I, I don't agree with you. 
think yeah. I think you know it creates a feel and a texture, and that's one of the things we love about Denny Villeneuve is he builds these practical sets. Don't have to build those huge cavernous rooms, but he insists on it, and I think it. I think it the fabric of the film feels different and that's all the oh, way down through the absolutely. performance, you know? Yeah. We talked about prey a couple of weeks, weeks ago, which, you know, was mostly or all filmed on location. Ex and exteriors. Yeah. Right. It's all outside. You're not green screening the woods. You're shooting yeah. woods. Right. And so, you know, whether they put in a little CGI mist or something after the fact, you're smelling the earth and the bark and the pine and you're there. Yeah. You know, absolutely. Anyway, that was. Have you watched anything else, or was Lord of the Rings your uh, or whatever? Uh, new it's season of Rick and Morty. Oh, I haven't started that yet. Yeah, yeah, just the uh, first episode. I mean, I love Rick and Morty. I think yeah, narky and funny, and it's a very different thing. But I, I enjoy it. There was a uh, review that I read a couple of years ago, proclaiming Rick and Morty the greatest sci-fi series ever and i mean it's amazing you know that's a, a I, what I like is the writing and how meta it is and how it it loves playing with sci-fi tropes there was the it's not just a sci-fi but movie tropes and the the, the oh the, yeah yeah uh, we're getting the we're getting the gang back together rick sanchez you son of a bitch i'm in you know <laughs> There, there's just so much from some, a few old friends and he puts the lollipop in his mouth. So the heist episode, and th they're just so much fun because they're meta on met layers of meta self-referencing. And now they're in their own multiverse and they're hopping between multiverses and they're having to keep track of all the different, you know, there's somebody somewhere that's like keeping track of what's canon in that show. And, they love to tease that too. And when they're like, Hey, that's not what, why would you, the, in this first episode, there's a lot of things that happen. It's like in space and the ship says something like, you know, door jammed. And he's like, what? They gave it a voice. Who is this for? We're in space. <laughs> <laughs> and then stuff like that. I love, I love oh, yeah. the people who write it are the nerds like us that pick things apart. And then they put that in the script, mm -hmm. you know, to call it out and as funny as it is you know they will work in some really dark and and even heartbreaking things that i forget what the uh one of my favorite episodes was the one where i forget what it's called but the video game where it's literally you're just living this guy's life from the you know beginning right. until he dies right. at the end that's the game and what was it? He was like a rug salesman or something I don't he just remember. like dies of a heart attack i don't remember but it's like nothing game normal happens it's just a it's just a pedestrian life yeah that's <laughs> just i mean that's just brilliant yeah so um all right well let's wrap this up uh all right next time we're gonna do perfect blue and we already said all this you've been listening yeah, yeah so um unless you have anything else to add no nah, i think that's it we will talk to you next week <laughs>